Welcome to What Does This Mean? A discussion of the Bible passages Lutherans and many other Christians read in church each Sunday. Once again this week, the gospel reading assigned for the day is a long passage from the Gospel of John, so today we will focus just on that one reading, the story of Lazarus called by Jesus out of his cave of death and despair. During this time of global pandemic, this is probably a good story for us to read together. We're so glad you're here. Welcome, everyone. I'm Pastor Javen Swanson. And I'm Pastor Bradley Schmeling. And I'm Pastor Lois Paulmeyer. We are the pastors at Gloria Day Lutheran Church in St. Paul, Minnesota. We've been doing this podcast for a while now as a way to get us all thinking together about how these ancient texts continue to speak to us today. And especially now, it seems good for us to dwell in the Word and listen for good news. Usually, we are recording in a studio. But today, following the guidance of public health professionals who say it's good for us to remain physically isolated from one another, we are recording using a video conferencing service called Zoom. So if the audio quality seems a little different today from usual, or if there are a few glitches in the recording, you'll know why. But today, uh, as we've been doing this entire season, we've been inviting special guests to join us and Today, we're very excited um, to welcome special guest Anne Niedringhaus. Welcome, Anne. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much for navigating this new technology with us today, um, but we're really excited to have you here. Tell us just a little bit about yourself. I am married for 53 years to Robert, have two daughters who have disabilities, Rachel and Beth, adult daughters, who had lived in St. Paul for of almost 25 years. And uh, we moved to St. Paul from Duluth about four and a half years ago. I'm a retired registered nurse social worker, worked in uh, my last two jobs were with um, being executive director of ARC in the Duluth area, and then working with teen parents in a program for them and their children if they were full-time students in the school district. And I, last 25 years, have been a poet and have used that for having work published, but also for teaching about writing in the schools, churches like Gorday, through College of St. Scholastica, and then for eight years in the county jail up in Duluth. And that was a fabulous experience. At Gloria Day, I'm an usher, reader, and communion assistant. And right now, I'm fairly newly on church council, learning a lot. And I am on the third chapter planning team. And I go to Monday morning Bible study as often as I can. On behalf of Lutheran Social Services Minnesota, I'm considered an ambassador to Gloria Day along with Bob. So we try to keep lines of communication open with Gloria Day. I remember when you came to Gloria Day and said, oh, I think we'll just stay in the background a little bit. So you were so successful at that. (laughs) Well, it's been a wonderful place for us. 
And you bring so many interesting perspectives to Gloria Day and to this conversation today. So um, I'm excited to have you here. Thanks so much for joining us. Well, why don't we turn to our reading for today? Um, As I said, we're reading about 45 verses of the 11th chapter of John, and we have decided to break that into three parts. Pastor Lois, would you read the first portion for us? Happy to. John 11, 1 through 17. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Mary was the one who anointed the Lord with perfume and wiped his feet with her hair. Her brother, Lazarus, was ill. So the sisters sent a message to Jesus, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. Rather, it is for God's glory, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Accordingly, though Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, after having heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, The Jews were just now trying to stone you, and are you going there again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours of daylight? Those who walk during the day do not stumble, because they see the light of this world. But those who walk at night stumble, because the light is not in them. After saying this, he told them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep but I am going there to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will be all right. Jesus, however, had been speaking about his death, but they thought he was referring merely to sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. For your sake, I am glad I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Thomas, who was called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. When Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for days. Because of what we're all going through right now, I really noticed for the first time in a familiar story how soaked with death this whole passage is, not just Lazarus. They said, well, we don't want to go to Judea, or you shouldn't go to Judea, Jesus, because they wanted to stone you. And then at the end, when they decide to go along with him, they talk about going to die with him. And I don't think I'd ever noticed that before. And there's also, when they get to Bethany, how close they're going to be to Jerusalem, which always means death for Jesus. That's a really interesting insight, Anne, because... Um, I notice that this story is smack dab in the middle of John. There's as much before this story as there is afterwards. And so there, it's kind of a hinge in the whole book. And it's true that right after this story is when the plot to kill Jesus really picks up. So I think it is pointing further into the story about what do we do when death is all around us? What do we what do we look for? And Jesus is sort of leading everybody to this tomb 
to look for the glory of God to be revealed in the midst of all this death that's going on around them. I'm sure all of you have heard on the news of congregations that say, you know, I don't care. We're going to continue to meet through anything. No, you know, Jesus has got us and I'm not worried about any virus. I'll just bring it on. This is just, it sounds a little bit like Jesus is talking that way. He says, this illness does not lead to death. You know, the sisters say uh, Lazarus is sick. Um, This illness does not lead to death. Rather, it is for God's glory so that the son of God may be glorified through it. And then a little later, he he lets him fall asleep. He says, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep as if, you know, it's like, it's okay because I'm going to, I'm going to show you something marvelous. It almost feels like Jesus is, is taunting the disease or taunting death to say, not, I don't care. Let him die. You know, just we'll see it. And it just feels so icky to me. It's like, oh, this is not the way we talk. We do everything we can to protect ourselves and our neighbor from contracting the disease. We do everything we can to work for the benefit of those who are ill, um, you know, to protect them, to hold them. And it feels so icky to hear Jesus talking this way. Yeah. You know, both last week and this week. Uh, so last week's um, story about the blind man, and right away it says, this man was born blind so that the glory of God might be revealed, um, which really, I don't think we talked about this on the podcast, but I really don't like that <laughs> that part of the story. Like, this man is just a little pawn in God's plan to, you know, reveal God's glory and his blindness is just, you know, so what that he's lived his whole life with blindness because he's just going to be a part of this great story. Yeah. And how do you hear that? I That was one of my issues too, the glory of God thing. And it's interesting that in some ways I didn't do what Javen did with our our situation with two daughters with disabilities. It didn't hit me in the face probably as much as it should have what that was saying about disability or something. Yeah, I wondered about that from your perspective because of that. You know, I think John is working really hard to tell a particular story about Jesus. And every detail in the story is told in such a way that it points to this ultimate message that he's trying to speak about Jesus. And I do think sometimes that means people in the story end up becoming their purpose in the story is to move us toward a a message about Jesus. And I do think sometimes we have to wrestle with the reality of these are real people in the story who are struggling. The blind man last week was a real person and Lazarus and the grief of the sisters. And that is all really, that's real stuff. But I think it also highlights why we have to be careful not to take these stories literally. That they're illustrations, you know, to make points. They're they're not designed to provide a historical account of exactly what Jesus said, you know, that to take them as illustrations that can point us into a deeper reality, which I think in this story is always about the presence of life in the midst of Death. One thing that I noticed that I hadn't really paid attention to so much before when I was reading this was that Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. The women want to, and the people around, they want to talk about resurrection from the dead or resurrection at the end. 
But Jesus says, I'm the resurrection and the life, meaning that his life is present and available and with us like right now, not just at the end of some story. Caroline Lewis is a theologian a teacher at Luther Seminary, and she has written a commentary on the Gospel of John, loves the Gospel of John. But she makes that point exactly, Pastor Bradley. He doesn't say, I am the resurrection, so you will live after death. He says, I am the resurrection and the life today. Like now live, live in this. And that's not just true for Lazarus because he will live again after the, the resurrection, but now he's going to live now. And, and so can we. In the midst of death, we live now. Right, which I think is like exactly the question for us right now, right? I mean, in a, I mean, death is always around us, of course, but we are experiencing that reality really profoundly right now. And so what does it mean for us to live in God's life? What does it mean for us to look for God to be revealed in all of this? It's easy to have, feel like the stone's just being rolled over us. I think that's a really important point and a good place for us to take a little break. Welcome back. We are taking a look at uh, the 11th chapter of John, the story of Lazarus, and I'm going to read the portion uh, verse 18 through verse 37. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, some two miles away, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them about their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him while Mary stayed at home. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you have been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that God will give you whatever you ask of him. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, will live, and everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one coming into the world. When she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary and told her privately, The teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come to the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. The Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary get up quickly and go out. They followed her because they thought she was going to the tomb to weep there. When Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she knelt at his feet and said to him, 
Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was greatly disturbed in spirit and deeply moved. He said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus began to weep. So the Jews said, see how he loved him? But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? I was struck um, more than I've ever been by how disturbed Jesus was at Mary's grief. And it almost feels like he's having his first true confrontation with death through seeing the grief of these loved ones of his. Earlier, you know, we I think we talked about this, that it, he almost seemed cavalier about death and about delaying going to help his friends. And in this instance, I wondered, is he being prepared for death, his death? I'm glad you pointed to that, Anne, because I think that's one of, this is one of the most interesting parts of the story. And the word greatly disturbed can also be angry. It has a sense of kind of this, uh, not just sadness, but almost fury. And so I've heard people talk about Jesus kind of understanding, like you said, maybe for the first time, the, the power of death. And his reaction is to be furious at the power of death to create the, the sadness, the grief of his friends. I think that's interesting, Anne, um, your question about is this sort of preparing Jesus for his death? And I think this whole story about this whole Lazarus passage is sort of prefiguring Jesus's death. Like Pastor Bradley said earlier, it's sort of a hinge. It's right in the middle of the gospel and functions as sort of a hinge. And I think as we now turn after this to Jesus's march toward the cross, I think it's helpful for us to have this story right before that to prepare us for what's coming and to have this this little glimmer of what it looks like when Jesus faces death and confronts it. We see a little bit here of maybe what we can expect to come when Jesus is put to death himself. I love in this section how Mary, they, the friends think Mary's going to go to the grave, but instead she goes to Jesus. And I love that, that sense of saying, it's not that she wants to grieve. Of course, she's grieving. She's, you know, weeping. <laughs> But she goes to Jesus to say, I need, I need some answers. I need some help. And how that just shows the human condition. It's like, just go to Jesus and say, how could this have happened? Where, where are you? Where are you in our pain right now? You know, when we see the questions of people saying, how can God let this happen? Why doesn't God come to our rescue? And, and then a little later in the story, um, uh, where have you laid him? And the friends say, come and see. It's as if we're saying, Jesus, come and look at what we're suffering right now. Look at this this pain. What are you doing? What are we supposed to do? It, it feels so <laughs> real that, that both of those descriptions just sound so real to me about how we're experiencing what we're going through right now. 
in our faith. And when Jesus sees what the what everyone is showing him, he weeps himself. I feel like sometimes theology becomes this heady exercise of talking about, you know, we talk about resurrection in these kind of overly theological ways or something. But I love that here we see how gritty death is. Jesus sees how awful it is. It makes him angry and he weeps. And I feel like that's the kind of Jesus... I need in the midst of grief and hardship, not some sort of theological response to suffering, but a Jesus who meets me there and cries with me about it. I think all the blaming in this part of the thing too is also kind of instructive for our time where everybody, we feel anger about what's going on and um, there's such this human tendency to blame somebody else or to point fingers and said, if you'd have done this, then this wouldn't be here now. And our grief makes us turn in on one another in all of this. Of course, Jesus wept used to be the shortest verse in the Bible. And then when this translation came out, it, it became Jesus began to weep. And um, when that happened, I was teaching confirmation in Ohio, and each week the confirmation class had to memorize a verse of the Bible and say where it was from. And they were determined to use Jesus wept as their verse, which I said was fine, but you have to say where it is. You can't just come and say Jesus wept. Well, it led to weeks and weeks of them scouring the Bible to find the shortest verse to say when they came to confirmation class on Wednesday night. I love that. <laughs> well, why don't we take a quick break and we'll come back for the final part of this passage. Welcome back. Let's conclude this reading with the last few verses. This is now still John chapter 11, verses 38 through 45. Then Jesus, again greatly disturbed, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone was lying against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, already there is a stench because he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus looked upward and said, Father, I thank you for having heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I have said this for the sake of the crowd standing here, so that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet bound with strips of cloth and his face wrapped in a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. 
Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what Jesus did, believed in him. You know, that stench, the four-day stench always is a big one. There's a quote that says, if you, if you have trouble with science and with faith, you don't know enough science. And I think it was from Francis Collins. And I think that, and Bob is always good about this, he always says, the more you know about the, the tiny, tiny things in the world or the huge, huge things in the world, the less trouble you have imagining that things can happen that are miraculous. It's interesting. I guess I would be interested in your feelings about the stench. <laughs> it's a great line. In the old version, it was, it stinketh. <laughs> <laughs> such a good verb. Um, well, I think the part of the point of adding that little detail is to say this is real death. This was not just a pretend thing. It's this is not a show that he was he was really dead and to be there 4 days in apparently in the Jewish mindset the soul really left your body after the 3rd day. So by the fourth day, both it's clear that the soul is gone and the body is in decay. So it the the detail just, I think, heightens the power and the drama of the storytelling, the miracle of God's glory being present in death here. The thing I often think about with this whole story is, so Lazarus is brought back to life. But he dies again, right? I mean, he doesn't live forever. Like all of us, we'll die, we'll die someday. And so it sort of leaves me wondering, then what is the point of this story? As I've reflected on that question, I think the quality of Lazarus's life after this encounter with death and this resuscitation that he experiences, I feel like he must have been sort of fearless after that, right? Like death isn't going to have the final word and God is good and God's power is real. And if Jesus says we're going to live with him forever, we can trust that word. I feel like that's my takeaway about this. It's not that we're going to defy death and somehow, you know, live here on earth forever, but that the quality of our existence is fundamentally changed because of Jesus. I knew someone who had a near-death experience, you know, the kind that you hear about where she was dead on the table and could see her body there, but had this overwhelming experience of light and love surrounding her. And that experience changed her life. She would say things like, I'm just not afraid like I used to be. Or, and even thought when death comes, she's kind of looking forward to it because that experience of love and light on that other side was just so beautiful and powerful. I mean, she wasn't looking, she didn't want to die again, but she yearned for that experience. And I think Partly that's what this story is trying to give us. The whole story of Jesus is trying to give us 
that near-death experience so that we see what's on the other side. So that we experience not just the resurrection to come, but life now in its fullness. I heard a um, I heard that Eastern Orthodoxy um, often says that Lazarus didn't didn't want to come back. And in fact, that the rest of his life he frowned. So in Eastern Orthodoxy, when you picture Lazarus after this scene, in the next chapter, he's he's there leaning against Jesus, you know, in, inclined against Jesus at the table. But um, anytime he uh, he's mentioned after this, he's frowning in their artwork because he's not happy to be back. He's he's looking forward to the to the resurrection. But I like the the understanding of him him recognizing, oh, the resurrection has already come. I am already living in the resurrection hope. The piece that we didn't talk about that I always love in the story is the unbind him and let him go. That the experience of coming to life again is a communal experience, that it takes all of those people gathered around him to unwind the the bandages and for him to leave. And I find that a kind of hopeful image, particularly maybe for a time like this, is that this is what we're gonna we're gonna be doing for one another is helping each other get unstuck uh, from the fear and the death. And we won't be able to do it on our own. We'll need everybody around us to help unbind us so that we can go. Amen. I think that is a great final word for today. Well, thank you all so much for joining us today. We are interested in hearing from you what you think all of this means. You can contact us at pastors at gloriadaystpaul.org. We also hope you'll rate the podcast and leave us a review on whatever service you use to listen to your podcasts. Thank you, Anne, so much for joining us today. It was so great to have your voice among us today. We also want to thank Marshall Saunders, our producer extraordinaire, who today is going above and beyond by stitching together this video conference into a podcast for us. And we want to thank our assistant music director, Paul D'Amico Carper, for the music you heard on the podcast today. During this time of pandemic, our worship services have been suspended in our building, but continue online, and we hope that you will join us uh, Wednesday evenings during Lent at 7 p.m. and Sunday mornings at 9.30 a.m. Those services are recorded and um, the videos are available on our website and our Facebook page after they have occurred, so you can watch them anytime. Thank you so much for joining us today, especially in this time. Know that God is with you God loves you, and God will give you what you need for today. This has been What Does This Mean? A podcast created by Gloria Day Lutheran Church in St. Paul, Minnesota. You can find Gloria Day online at www.gloriadaystpaul.org. This podcast has been produced by Minnesota Podcasting, and they can be found online at www.mnpodcasting.com.